0: Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relation Flicks Podcast. My name is Dolphin Casper. I'm incredibly happy and excited today to welcome dr juliana hauser to the program we met last year online she was doing some really beautiful work and sharing some amazing content on instagram she is a sex educator she is committed to changing the conversation around sexuality and one of the things that's become really clear to me in my conversations with juliana is that um, she's a big picture person I was going to say thinker, but she she feels it. She knows it. she's she's tuned into like global and societal uh, dynamics that are playing out. And I think she brings her her extensive knowledge and experience to to bear on both kind of intra personal, the kind of in in within us conversation, the conversation between us, but also the broader conversations around. Like what are we really doing here as human beings, and how do we make all this work? So, Juliana, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I know it's going to be good. I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit, and then we're going to talk about what people can expect in the conversation today.
1: Oh, thank you for a beautiful introduction. i am looking forward to this conversation with you. Uh, so, to describe um, who I am and what I what I do, I um, by um, license am a couples and family therapist and licensed professional counselor who specializes in sex education and holistic sexuality. I work with individuals and couples all over the world and I teach um, and I love speaking about all things sexuality and especially the concept of agency.
0: Mm, beautiful. So just in in the preamble before we got on here, um, you were speaking about a, a distinction you make that, that sounds like it's becoming sort of the core of, of your work with people, um, if I may say. And and the distinction is empowerment versus agency, or empowerment in relationship to agency. And um, I think that's an interesting one, and one that we I think we need to unpack a bit because not everyone gets what that means. And and what I heard you speaking about is that empowerment on its own isn't enough. And I think we live in a world where in the last twenty or thirty years, empowerment has been held as this sort of standard of okay, we're doing well, we feel empowered, um, but that without a deeper context for how we relate to each other, empowerment actually can be a vehicle for division and and more of a sense of separation from one another. So so what we hope today is that we can unpack agency and empowerment. and, And what people can expect to leave with is an understanding of what I would call the active ingredient in making relationships work. So if you've struggled in relationships, if you found it difficult for both parties or whatever parties are at the table to all feel good about what they're doing and what they're creating together within relationship. This show is for you. So Juliana, can you unpack those two for us a little bit?
1: Yes. So as you said very beautifully that, um, in in the last few decades, the buzzwords have been finding your voice, uh, being empowered, having boundaries. And I love those concepts and I think they're crucial but what i have found the problem to be is that they are held to the highest standard that this is what you're wanting to achieve and that works when it works Um, but there's a ceiling effect to all of them and partly it's because it's so individual and that's beautiful when you are in power when you found your voice when you understand your boundaries that you have uh, with others and for yourself That's a a lovely process that has to happen along the way to find that your place matters in the world. But because it's so individual, when we, which always happens in a relationship, in an organization, um, and anyone that's interacting with another human being, if not more, you start having differences. You start having, your empowerment will often bump up against someone else's voice, empowerment and boundaries. And then what do you do? what we've been learning about empowerment up until this point is just like well you either just have to suck it up or you have to move on from each other um, and fight each other and we see each other and we see this so much on the global community now we just make each other wrong if you're not empowered the same way i am then you are wrong and sometimes there especially when you are marginalizing or oppressing others of course there 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 is a right and a wrong to that but moving outside of that dynamic um, it's it's quite limiting to people. So that's to me where the concept of agency became very powerful for me. And I got very curious about what it meant to be an agency. And actually in this past year, agency has now become one of the buzzwords, but I am a bit troubled because I don't think that it's being taught and conceptualized in the way that I've learned it to be. And um, I find that when you look at agency, then you are able to have boundaries, to find your voice, to be empowered, and be in community and relation with other people. And that's the, the secret sauce, I think, to changing so much the division we have in our relationships and also in our greater communities.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I love what you're saying. I, I want to kind of point out a piece around empowerment. And I think what you're saying, like, we use words, and often we use words and, and then in conversation, and everyone nods. But just because everyone's nodding doesn't mean they are agreeing on the meaning that they're deriving from the words that they're using. And, and so for us to get better in, in relationship, I think letting go of our reflexive assumption that because we're using words and we all think that we're saying the same thing, that, that the meaning represents the same thing to us. So like I'll kind of put that into a little bit more focus. Empowerment seems like a good idea, like you're talking about. Um, but what do you mean by empowerment? And, and I would say that one of the stumbling blocks of of empowerment as a primary kind of uh, target to shoot for is, is empowerment a feeling? Feeling empowered, which I think a lot of people would relate to feeling kind of upright and strong and secure and clear. And that, and that you're at the center of your choices. So this is the agency piece. But what I know about relationship and anyone who's done any kind of digging or, or self-reflection is sometimes the right way to do and be in a relationship feels incredibly disempowering. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm carrying any any wrongdoing from the past, if I'm carrying any any patterns or, or 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 conditioning that's been about protecting myself from intimacy, then intimacy will actually feel disempowering to that part of me. So I think we need to get more granular and into the kind of weeds of, well, what does it mean to be empowered and what does it mean to be empowered in relationship with others where if we hold to empowerment as a feeling of, of strength, uh, there's no way relationship can work. There's just no way. There's going to be times when we don't feel strong within ourselves in relationship to others and that doesn't in and of itself mean something is wrong. So maybe you could kind of pick up that thread and, and help us see that more clearly
1: and i think it's because we've been taught that empowerment is mutually exclusive and that uh, so we aren't when you said that actually quite eloquently that we feel empowered or disempowered it's a binary and so it's either things are going the way that i wanted to i'm being heard I'm being seen i'm being valued or i'm not and if i'm not it's because you have done something to me you've done something to my empowerment Your empowerment has done this to me. And when we get into those binary approaches, that's not how relationships work, Uh, at least the ones that are thriving and fulfilling. Uh, So then what I find is when people are coming to me, especially couples that are coming to me in crisis, it's like, well, then what do we do when we have really opposing needs? And then the conversation begins. Well, there's three things that are going on in in a relationship with within two people. You have you're starting off with the the knowledge that you have in one person's empowerment, another person's empowerment, and then you have the relationship empowerment. And those ops, it's wonderful when they align. It is very difficult when it doesn't. And what I mean by the relationship empowerment aspect of it, it's that when I, when a couple gets together, whether it's a friendship or a parental family or romantic you define what your relationship looks like on your own terms. That's the empowerment piece of it. And that could be in conflict with other people that that's not how you do a relationship. That's not how you do friendship. That's not how you do a couple. And what do you do with that aspect as well as learning your own way into this world? And for me, what I find is couples, This is in, they understand this. They get to this place of, well, what do we do now? And there's nothing to teach them what to do next. And to me, that's where agency steps in. Agency says, yes, yes, you. what you need and want matters. So does the other person and so does the relationship. All of that matters. Now, how do you find out how to do that and not tear each other apart, not tear each other down and to not feel disempowered in the process, but to feel in agency, And the, you know, the kind of stinger to it is agency doesn't always feel good, but we are sold that empowerment does. And so it is, there's a grieving process that sometimes happens when you are learning the process of of agency. And sometimes it feels like something's being taken from you instead of that you're actually, if you can give to the concept of agency, you're actually gaining so much more and, and you are able to tolerate so much more, too. And there's much more fulfillment and longevity in relationships that are built and work on agency. And to me, the, the, the huge characteristic that we and skill that we're not taught is a tolerance for ambiguity. And that does not exist in empowerment.
0: Yeah, and I would say that in the last ten years, in particular, just with the kind of the the pervasiveness of social media and 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 you know what we might call the powers that play behind the prolifer- proliferation of social media is that's even more so. Like holding holding ambiguous views, holding views that that don't easily and automatically fit certain frameworks or certain perspectives is is everywhere and 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 you just look at you know your twitter feed or whatever social media threads you might be participating in um nuance is is difficult to come by it seems these days so you know that's more of a macro picture but if we zoom into relationship how do you support people in in coming to terms with more of that ambiguity and nuance knowing that it in some way it's not as satisfying it doesn't it doesn't have us feel as secure as we want to so what do we do about that
1: yeah so we've been taught that certainty is safety and and that is diametrically opposed to the concept of having tolerance for ambiguity and there are many studies and theories that support that tolerance for ambiguity having a higher tolerance for ambiguity is actually considered one of the highest levels of evolution for a, a, a human psyche but we're taught, and especially in Western culture, that having certainty is safety, is smart, is the way to go about it. So I'll back up a little bit. That I, I want to describe what I've come up with as the skill of agency. And I think agency is a noun, is a verb, is a skill, and it's a concept. But to give like a, a nuts and bolts part of agency, I want to give you the five steps um, of agency that, that I have come to find in my research. And the, the, then we'll thread tolerance for ambiguity within that. The warning is, this is gonna sound really obvious. It is, and it's gonna sound like, wow, she took 20 years of research to discover these five steps. I could have done it this morning. Yeah. But what I have found is it is simple in, in the verbiage. It is quite complex in putting it to action. So the first thing is an agency, the first skill, the first step of it is that you know there's a decision to be made. The second is that you feel confident you can make a decision that's aligned with your purpose and intentions. Third is that you make the decision with purpose and intention. Fourth is that you live with the consequences of this decision, intended and unintended. And fifth is you make meaning of all the steps one through four. And the meaning that you make typically falls into one of two categories. The first is that um, you feel resilient. Like, oh, if it didn't go well, you're like, well, oh, well, now I've learned something lesson learned. Uh, The world is good. I am good. I can make good decisions. It's fine. I'm flexible. I I can bounce back. Or you feel protective. The world sucks. I make bad decisions. It's scary. This feels terrible. I didn't see this coming. I got to protect myself. I got to double down on safety. And then the cycle starts back up again. So again, when I ask people, so how are you about making decisions or do you make decisions in your life? Most people are like, I make decisions every day. <laughs> what are you talking about? And now my niche is, is, it within, it was, is within sexuality. So we, I often get into the world of sexuality and talking about this, but we can move it out further and just look about decisions in general. When you, if I then ask you like, okay, so yes, you make decisions, but let's talk about a time where things felt really bad that you made a decision and things went to shit. Let's get into the detail of that. And oftentimes what you will find, one, if not all of these weren't activated, that actually you walked into a situation not even really realizing there was a decision to be made, it just kind of happened. Or someone else kind of did it for you. It was just so you kind of didn't have a whole lot of choice and then you didn't know how to back out. You were people-pleasing or you were avoiding conflict or it just was like ah it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me so you weren't actively deciding something then you and then the next part of it is that in the in the decision like you didn't even know there was a decision to be made because it was already act. then the second time when we kind of put things um, as it under a microscope is did you actually make the decision and feel good about that did you feel like yes I am equipped with information I'm in a good place I know myself I know what my purpose and intention is in relation to this. Did you go through that step or did you just, just oh, here we are, and yes or, or no into it? Then The third part of it is, did you? Did you actually make the decision? So all those, are, there. there's a similarity between them, but the thread of it is, did you know yourself? Did you have your voice in this? Did you activate that? Were you aware of your surroundings and your options? And were you aware of how your decision is aligned or not aligned with your purpose and intention, either in the moment or in general? So those are the first three things. And oftentimes, when you really dig into the moments in your life where you had the most pain, one of those three things, if not all of them, um, were at play. And if not, then the fourth one definitely was, which was living with the consequences intended and unintended. And most people come to me um, in my work, in my private practice, having unintended consequences that have come to bear that they need healing from and insight with because then they've moved to the meaning making that has made them very scared and traumatized and closed up and afraid of things. And so they stopped stopped making more decisions. They don't know themselves as well. And they're afraid to make a stand, um, to make a decision aligned with their purpose and intention because it hurts too much. So with all of that, all those five things, and I've said it several times, but you have to know who you are. You have to do the work for self-development. You have to do the self-reflection or your decisions aren't going to be aligned and they're not, they're not going to fit with who you are and where you're heading in life and what you're wanting in life and how you want to be seen and heard and valued. The second thing is what I mentioned previously, which is the tolerance for ambiguity. Each of these five places demand that you have a tolerance for ambiguity of some level, but most particularly it's between step three and step four. Step three is that you make the decision. Step four is you live with the consequences. Sometimes we will sit there, especially people who are planners, who like I have thought of A through D on this one. And I I, I, I I like my decision. This was a good decision. And they didn't see E and F coming. And I was like, whoa, huh? Sometimes it's better than you thought that the things you did, the unintended consequences are much better. And like, OK, well, I'm going to make meaning that I'm great. This is good. The world is good. This is wonderful. It's, it's good to risk take. I'm going to do some more of that. Or if it doesn't go, well, oh, this is bad. I'm bad. This feels terrible. I'm not going to do this. It's just not worth it. And double down on the things that I think are going to protect me, which often is certainty. Again, certainty being aligned with, with safety. Instead of what we were looking for, we hear so much about resiliency. Instead of saying like, okay, I, I didn't know this could happen and I'm going to be okay. And this didn't feel good. I need to flex to this. I need to adapt. I need to learn. I need to understand this. I need to let this go. That is a skill that we've been working on learning, but forgetting that it's the tolerance for ambiguity of just sometimes you just have no idea how things are going to turn out. You have no idea all of the other factors that are at play with, especially if you're talking about a relationship with other people, you have no idea what, what you don't know But most importantly is that you have to understand that you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. So how do you know you're going to be okay? Well, it goes back to that grounding of knowing who you are and knowing that no matter what swirls around you, you have a place and a way to get grounded. And that in and of itself is so complex and is agency. Now let's put that next to somebody else trying to do their agency and have a relationship with them. It's difficult. But when mastered and when two people, just even even just two people do it, it is so beautiful and the conversations are so different and the ability to risk-take, to be vulnerable, to be seen, to be genuine and authentic is mind-blowing. Put that in multiple people, in a company, in an organization, in a uh, social justice framework, and it changes everything and is quite threatening to people who can't think like that and don't want people to be an agency. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot there in what you've been talking about. Uh, the piece that I wanna bring out a little bit, and then I'd love to kind of land it in more of a practical, kind of identifiable relational context. Um, you talked about knowing yourself and doing the work, uh, which uh, to me is a, of course, But it's not obvious, like you say, it's not obvious to me um, exactly what that means, exactly what there is to discover there, what is universal in terms of like human nature and and the human condition, and what is individual based on our journey and our past. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm curious what you say about how agency comes to life in us, um, because I know it will uncover uh, part of my journey and my working with people. Some of it will uncover things that are just deeply universal. Just across the board, doesn't matter where you're from, how old you are, this is just a human piece, a core principle of being human. And then there's all of this subtlety, nuance, complexity around how that plays in an individual human based on what they've been through and based on the journey ahead of them. So how do we come to meaning? And then I like the word clarity because to me, agency on its own just provides more choices. It doesn't necessarily inform good choices. So how do we, this is a kind of twofold question is like, how do we discover the real meaning and align with that meaning for our lives? And then how do we make sure that the choices we're making are reflective of that meaning?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, remind me to get back to answer the question, what is a good choice? Mm. Uh, but going back to the universal, I, to me, I, what I find is two things with the conversations that I have with people. One is that people need to know they matter to something to somebody and they need to feel connected to something to somebody beyond that the nuances are interesting and important depending on who you're connecting with and what your purpose and aim are but if you can find if you can discover your pathway of what uh, that you matter in the world however you define matter and how you experience connection then that, that's what makes the difference. And to me, that's how agency shows up in an important way because agency demands, one, that you know who you are and two, that you are finding out what you need and what you want so that you can have authentic connections with others. And then it comes when you have that. It's, it's, it's both and having that that pursuit enables you to feel connective and to feel that you matter. And thusly, you know yourself and you have to know yourself along the way too and know that you're okay and that you're you are, you're meant to hold space for yourself in the world and with others. Mm. Uh, and, and how people find that is, is different. And, and your pathway to find out who you are is different. There's many ways to discover who you are. Some of it is individual. Some of it has to be in relationship with other people
0: can you say more about like finding who you are? Because again, that I think for people who haven't explored it, that may sound like they just don't know what you're talking about at all. And even people who have explored it, what you discover is there's so much mystery in that question. Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. What, what is life really about? So, you know, maybe you could t- t- tell us a little bit about your journey around f- finding yourself. And, uh, and and then I would love to hear Uh, How you bring your kind of self-discovery and self-actualization into the work that you do with people?
1: Yeah, so you know, I think a word that's missing in that question is "Who am I right now?" If you are looking at it just a "Who am I," I think it is. It's it's a conversation that can shut you down in an instant. It's like I I don't know. It it changed yesterday. It's going to change for tomorrow. And, And I don't think we have to have this absolute concrete sentence that defines us forever but i do find and so what i the way i speak about it is in s i use the word essence and i think when we are tuned into the essence of who we are then that is a more of a knowing um i agree that that sentence it just feels like you're trying to define to like wrap your head around the fact that we live in on earth in the galaxy and that it's just too much and and we 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 just need to go and 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 go for a walk. But if we are asking ourselves what is the essence of who I am? And when I work with people, I actually ask them to to siphon it down into six adjectives. And now can anyone be fully described in in six words? No. But I think it's uh an important endeavor to see like what comes up up instinctively. And to see if you do that pretty regularly, are there themes throughout your life? Are there themes throughout different phases of your life that come to bear? And are there things that change and what has changed them? Is it relationships that you've had that changes what those six words would be? Or maybe it's two or three of those words. Is it a crisis that has happened that you have had to have a true reflection um, into your life? And, And for me, what I have really found That is a parallel to your journey with agency is that at some point, if you live long enough, everyone has to sit there in their existential moment, if not moments. Be like, huh, who am I wanting to be? Who am I right now? And If there's differences, what do I do about that? And how that typically happens for people is something something terrible has happened, something traumatic has happened, and you have to examine what what is what is this all about, and and, and how do I fit into this, and what are my strengths and what are my challenges, and owning that with accountability and truthfulness, and and authenticity, um, and or like a, a lot of people in the coming out process, and they're tra- if they are transgender and they are coming to terms with that, if they are. Um, especially especially years ago in the process of coming out in your sexual orientation, when you have to just say, this is the truth of who I am and I I have to live this no matter what others are thinking of me and what others are doing. that moment of claiming of you in a, a cancer crisis, in a death crisis, in a trauma, in a coming out process, that that moment and the moments that surround it, I think is the answer to who are, who, who am I? Who am I right now? And allowing there to be some consistency, allowing them to be some change, I think makes a big difference in having a relationship with that question instead of being terrified by it. Mm-hmm. So I ask people um, to do an essence talk. They have two minutes that they share. Uh, so like I, I kind of the setup for it is if you were to get stuck in the elevator for two minutes, and you have to speak soul to soul. I always do this uh, this um, hand gesture of my hands opening up my chest. Like, so let's just speak soul to soul. Let's like, kind of put the bullshit aside and be like, I'm just going to speak. This is who I am. This is the truth of who I am. Do you want me? Are you interested in this? Does this align with you? And show me. Tell me who you are. What, what is that like? What would we really say about ourselves, about who we are? What do I really want you to understand about me? Not know about me, but understand. How do I want you to experience me, my soul, my essence? And when you can do that, it takes a bit to kind of get through all that stuff because we put on so much in front of other people, anticipating what they want to know about us, what we think sounds good. And when they... When people can kind of get through that and they do that two-minute talk and I had them end it with, my name is Juliana and I am this, 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 and this. It is so beautiful. And then we'll often, like I'll do this in groups, we'll often say like, isn't this how we should introduce ourselves to people? Instead of saying what our job is, what our credentials are, or, or you know what our family makeup is, wouldn't it be beautiful if we actually shared soul to soul the essence of who we are? And uh, I, I think it'd make a big difference. And I would get into, you'd get into more richer conversations along the way
0: too. Yeah, and have richer uh, relationships.
1: Yes, yeah. And, and isn't there just a, a beautiful releasing of being truthful uh, to yourself and out loud to somebody else about um, about the essence mm. of, of you? Yeah. It's beautiful.
0: Totally. Uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, yep. I was going to get into some of my story with it.
0: Yeah, well, no, just is, I'm thinking of Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, who does a lot of work around trauma and and uh, addictions and, and healing of all of that. And he speaks about the the literature around people who don't find their voice, people who, who are nice, but inside there's all of these unexpressed truths about who and what they are and what they've been through. And he said, literally, it kills us. Like, our inability to uh, attune to and become vehicles for the voice inside is in some way it's liberating, but it's healing to us. And if we don't heal those unexpressed parts, they show up as illness and disease. So outside of just being able to create more nourishing and connected relationships, our longevity and well-being are are dependent on our ability and willingness to be with our inner truth and to speak it to the people close to us. So, you know, I'm just resonating with what you're saying and, and, you know, I'm hoping we can get into uh, a little bit about, you know, what, what are people coming to you with and how do you bring this very kind of existential framing of the human condition and what we're really doing together into a a practical relational context?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, in some ways when I, I've looked at like how to describe what I do, I I would I almost in a kind of a, a cheeky way want to say my job is to help people know they matter. And I do that in many different ways. Um, but it's a genuine belief of mine that each of us matter, even the ones that on surface are quite difficult <laughs> and and uh, you're maybe spewing things that that don't align with my values and beliefs but that they they matter too and there's a reason for for some of the, the hate and the anger that we see um around the world right now That 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 you still matter and how do you matter and what is it what parts of you matter and and i that to me, I'll go back to somebody just a little bit earlier of saying that I, what I found is that that there are, you know, there are many ways to find out who you are. There are many ways to discover that you matter to people or to yourself. But I find that understanding your sexuality when you look at it in a holistic way is actually one of the most unique ways and one of the most difficult ways to find it. Is one of the few things that we all have in common. And it is something that is fluid and ever-changing. So it's not the static, like, who am I? It is the, That's why I said it's a who, I, who am I right now because we are always interacting. Um, why that statement doesn't land with a lot of people is because we've been taught that our sexuality is our sex acts and who we are doing our sex acts with. And that is not even close to the, the most important parts of what our sexuality is. And when you when you can keep checking in with something like this in number yourself when it is something that that you can be fluid with and don't have to have that certainty attached to forever and like the certainty mean like it has this feeling of being concrete it is set when you don't have to have that with your sexuality when you have this fluidness that allows for every area of your life to have that fluidity and uncertainty that feels safe to have movement within instead of feeling terrible that you don't know exactly how things are gonna go or how things are going to be. And for me, that was a big part of my journey was understanding a a more holistic way of looking looking at who I was as a sexual being, not feeling shame for how I presented myself into the world and how I interacted in the world, first in my family and then friend groups and then relationships and understanding that I got to decide these things on my own. I got to make those decisions. And I had the responsibility of living with with my decisions. That was something that I hadn't learned. That is, I didn't, I hadn't learned how to make a choice that I had to stand behind and live with myself on. And when I was able to do that, it changed so much for me. It didn't prevent trauma from happening. It didn't prevent Terrible things from happening, as I was saying earlier. Being an agency doesn't mean that everything is beautiful and perfect all the time. What it means is I can survive them. What it means is that I can survive my essence intact. <coughs> I'm sorry, and that was something that was profoundly life altering for me. And I do my self first saying I'm sorry. Not at all. So I met, um, two women in my life and I'll be interested to see if like the listeners can think of somebody in their life who most of us would just say they felt really comfortable in their own skin, that they, uh, you just, we know you meet somebody and they just have this ease of them. They just have, and you're you're drawn to them. Either they're very vivacious and that's who they are and it comes off authentic. They're very centered and maybe quiet but they know who they, there's just this thing about them. I had two women in my life, older women who had that about them, that they, and also you could say like two, no fucks given or however the verbiage is, but they knew who they were and they didn't necessarily apologize for that. They also didn't have to throw it in your face or demand that you were like them. That was fascinating to me. And I, informally studied underneath them and asked them questions about how they came to be in in to the world like that they were both um in their 70s when and what was 80s when i when i met them so there's obviously like a wisdom that comes with that age and a wisdom that comes with letting go of those things and their journeys all had not always living like that but what i where what i found was i couldn't Live with the anxiety and the ruminations and the uh, self-loathing that came from not having my voice and not taking responsibility for finding my voice in the world and knowing that mattered. It was crushing me, and it, it I got into toxic relationships. I stayed in friendships and romantic relationships that were not good for me. And I'm I, talking about longevity. I, I, I did think it would, in the end, um, shorten my lifespan. And it certainly changed the quality of life that I was having. And so I got to a place that I couldn't, I could not learn it anymore. And since I didn't see it anywhere out there that anyone was teaching it, I just started asking. And I actually went around the country uh, with this big video camera back then. It was this huge video camera. And I just started asking anybody who seemed to have that feel, just went on my gut instinct. And I would interview, interview them for five to six hours. I couldn't believe how many people said yes to me. And, uh, and they just asked. They, I asked them their story. And then I asked them questions um, about decision making and choice. And the theme over and over again. They weren't using the word, but the theme was all those skills of agency. And that's how I came up with that, um, those five steps that I discovered that that is how people came to that place and how when somebody has that sting about them that you want more of that you want that centeredness that peacefulness that that authenticity it was because they knew they were going to be okay and they knew they were going to mess up and they knew that there's going to be beautiful things and they knew that, that they knew who they were throughout that and sometimes knowing who you are doesn't mean having all the details it just means you know you're going to be okay and I matter. And mm. that is the strongest statement that you can make in the knowing of who you are.
0: yeah, that 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 the idea of do I matter as a question, but but also just as a a truth known, like I matter. And if the absence of that truth you know if if that truth isn't known, the implications of that in terms of how we navigate, how we make sense of life, how we ask questions. Um, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you, do you believe in God?
1: Um, I, I do. I'm not sure that I don't have the typical definition of what God is, yeah. but yes, I do believe in a higher power.
0: Yeah. So, so that's, that's powerful and interesting to me because, you know, I, I did a lot of work with at-risk kids and homeless people. And, and, you know, so I sat in on a lot of top 12 step programs, and and so there, uh, a kind of primary tenant of the twelve steps is this belief in a higher power, whatever that means to you. I also worked with professional athletes for a number of years, and the research around athletic performance and success is interesting. That on uh, like on balance, an athlete is more successful if they believe in God than if they don't. Hmm. So so there's something that happens in us when we're connected to and believing in something beyond ourselves. That that is holding everything, if you want to speak it in, the, in that way, um, which in like if you think about it, of course, like if I think I'm holding the whole universe together and I have to do it all, that's a stressful place to put myself. And, and the truth is, is I'm not able. I can't hold everything. I can't hold other people's choices. I can't hold things that are happening in other places in the world. Like I just can't. But something magical happens when I relax my hold on control of everything and say, something deeper and greater than me is holding everything and then i get to simply play my rightful part there's there's a kind of alignment that happens there and and so you know i is and i think some people that would say they don't believe in god still believe in something powerful beyond themselves that's bringing life into balance in some way or bringing life forward in some way so but but i believe the <clears throat> excuse me i believe the absence of a belief in something beyond ourselves is I'm just trying to be careful about my words here. I think it's inherently problematic. And so, yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And I'm curious about when you're working with people, you know, is there a primary reason you feel like they've disconnected from that sense of something beyond themselves? And how do you bring them back to that?
1: Mm-hmm. When what I have found is like, people can live a long time in pain. They cannot live a long time without purpose. And purpose can be defined also through connection. And to me, I think it's the ultimate purpose is connectivity and connection. And so if somebody has lost even if they have nothing they feel connected to, that they don't matter to anybody or to anything – then that is a very desperate person, and that is somebody that that is in true crisis, um, and needs to be able to find connection in some way, um, fast. Um, and I, for some people, it is their spirituality; it is their belief, their o- overall belief system, even if it's not clearly articulated or put into tangible practice. If they do believe the way that you stated that is, is beautiful, yes, they have to know that they're, they aren't holding the weight of everything and they're also not floating in nothingness. But there is some kind of connectivity that is, even if it's just too impossible to understand, that, it, that in and of itself means they matter because they have a place in the puzzle piece of all of this um Beyond that though I I, there, I certainly work with people that do not believe in a higher power in, in a religious sense or in a spirituality sense, but their purpose, their connectivity is with family or with the fact that they don't think there's anything that happens or there's anything beyond this and nothing else is at play so that that is the construction they make. But I've yet to meet anybody who doesn't have an explanation for how this all how all of this matters and is put together that has um, any sort of grounding or peacefulness or fulfillment in their life. Yeah.
0: I, I think, like you say that, what you said at the beginning there was so potent. We can we can last a long time in pain, but we can't really last in the absence of purpose. I think that's a, a very articulate and inspiring way to look at it. And one of the things that I like to frame relationship by is like, what is this in service to? And, and you you spoke to it at the beginning. There's sort of like my empowerment, your empowerment, and the relationship's empowerment. And I would even kind of throw in a, a broader context. is like our relationship can also be in service to what's beyond our relationship. Community and, and, and our community can be in service to something beyond that. So these ever-expanding kind of concentric circles of meaning and purpose uh, give us a, a bigger a bigger field to play in, in terms of relationship. And, and I think that bigger context allows us to face difficulty more robustly, more resiliently. And so my example would be, you know, I'm just going to go to a, a poignant place, like if family is everything to you, and that's what has you making ethical, moral decisions, or doing good, or bringing positivity to the world, and then your family falls apart, or, or you know, there's a catastrophe, and then you, you lose your family, then what? Like, do you do you have a container for your life that can continue to hold your pain while you're continue while you continue to be connected to purpose? And so that's what I'm always encouraging people: how how broad a net can you cast in terms of the context for your life? What is your life in service to? And and in turn, what are your relationships in service to? Uh, that question to me, when we can really ground into something that feels complete, in whatever way that that can be true. Um, I think it, it gives people what they need for the journey ahead, whatever that journey might look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. i double down on what you just said. That's <laughs> lovely and and absolutely a, a key point uh, to all of this, which is, and I think it also, like, if you're, what is this in service to? Um, that's also the answer to that this matters, that you matter, that the... That your place, that what you're, you, who and what you are in service to matters. That's profound on so many levels. It's a beautiful question to ask people. And I think it's a beautiful framework um, to give people who feel lost and untethered. I think as we're also moving forward in these past couple of years, uh, the conversations globally and particularly uh, within the United States that we're having, although there's so much tension and division right now, I'm also very excited that these conversations are happening. And I personally don't feel the fear of all the dissension that's happening right now. I think it's a shaking out that needed to happen and more voices needed to come up that had been silenced and marginalized and oppressed for absolutely way too long. And there is more space being spread out for those voices to rise and, and demanding of that to happen. What that means then in asking of service of, so what, what, for the people who feel like other people's voices coming into play are taking away their place in the world and what's mattering, what they're in service to, that is to me where agency comes into play again. That you have to be able to see in relation to others that how you are giving room and space, how you are mattering in the larger sense of things, what you're in service to, who you are connecting to, doesn't have to be a giving up of your soul, your essence, a compromise of your soul. It could be a compromise for the relationship, the smaller relationship or the global relationship. and You have to have a tolerance for ambiguity of how this falls out in order to tolerate how things are shifting right now. And you can see who handled the pandemic as a country, as a company, as a relationship, as a person because of that. And you see what's happening with all the intersexuality that's happening with race and culture and the political stuff that's happening right now. It's a grab for all. uh, Like, don't you take for me? Don't you? Those kinds of things in viewing others who are finally having a choice, a chance to voice was their place in the world. If you see it as being taken from you, you're not an agency. You're not even empowered. You're entitled, and you are at a completely different place, and it's painful. But if you're an agency, you're like, ah, oh, yeah. Tell me more. Let me let me flex and be adaptable to what my what I'm in service to now. I have no idea how this turns out. Mm-hmm. Some of this doesn't feel good. Agency doesn't always feeling good. I, I, I don't have this expectation. Everything is going to be exactly how I think is supposed to be in that certainty. If I can see safety in agency instead of safety in certainty, then I leave room for these changes to happen in the world. I leave room for other cultures, other voices, other people to teach me, to connect with me, to give me other purpose.
0: Amazing. So a couple of things came to me while you were speaking there. I love all of it. Um, So one that just came as you were speaking, agency is where we meet across any kind of divide. So like when, when we activate that kind of agency, what we're activating is something that is the same in me as it is in you, no matter the differences that may be at play, different perspectives, different cultures, different genders, like whatever that is agency is where we can bridge the gap and truly meet as human beings so that one feels really poignant and powerful and then the other thing that was coming up for me is um the theme that that's been there in the background in this conversation for me has been the word redemption it, it's something like if, if i don't think i matter it's like somehow i've fallen short of the meaning and value of my existence and, and that could be because the external environment was giving me that message as I was growing up. It couldn't be mean be because I've watched myself make choices that didn't align with my truth and in, in that I feel diminished. but that the regardless of what has happened to us or through us, in this moment, if I speak the truth, there is a fundamentally redemptive unfolding like it, we, we can read like all of the stories, all of the fantasy, all of the fiction that we read and are so enthralled by in some way has that moment, that, that shift of virtue where the person comes fully into themselves in, in, the, in the healthiest, fullest possible way. And it, it's all redeemed in that moment, no matter what came before, it's all redeemed. And so to me, that's a, a, a takeaway for us in terms of whatever, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever's occurred in your life. This moment is an invitation for you to show up and speak your truth, to to remember your purpose, to remember the meaning and value of, of who you are, that you matter in this world, and that you can speak your truth into this world in a way that redeems not just you, but those that you're connected to. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of bring it all into that place. And maybe you can help us close the conversation with for those. There's two kinds of people um, that I've found are, are kind of most oriented to or inclined to kind of seek out information or learning or growth around relationships. It's like they're not in a relationship and it's been hard for them, and they're really wanting it, or they're ready, or they're in a relationship and and they're not ready to give up, but they feel stuck. It feels like I don't know how to move forward. So I'm curious if we can take sort of gather up all the nuggets of of wisdom and goodness that we've been talking about and speak to to people that might be in that place, like they feel stuck, they feel incomplete, uh, how do they move forward from here?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I agree, I see those those two types um, also a lot uh, in, in my work. And the the first thing that I like to ask them is to define what safety means. And it can feel jarring at first, it's like, no, 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 I want to talk about the details of this, I need to make a decision. I'm like, no, 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 we need, we need to step back. And I want you to think of three things. I want you to be able to define what do you need safety wise when you're interacting with somebody else and I don't mean just physical I mean emotional in order what do you need to feel safe enough to be vulnerable vulnerable in your own thoughts and vulnerable out loud to somebody else what do you need from that other person second thing is what do you need for safety in the environment in which you are doing this self reflection or what you're you're doing with this interaction and connection with somebody else and then third what do I need to provide for myself in order to feel safe in general and feel safe in this interaction and feel safe in general? Oftentimes people have a really difficult time coming up with those answers. They've never been asked it and they never really sat through what all three of those things mean. When you can create safety for yourself, that is, an, that is an, and when you can do safety in all three areas, and for the for the context that relates to someone else, if you are interacting with somebody that you can share, like the handbook of safety, this is how I this is how I can interact to be my best self for myself and for you this interaction, and then be a person that invites that that response from the other person too to know what their safety needs are, and you figure out how to work that out together. When that groundwork is set, which again it's not easy to do, and it's certainly not simple to do, but when you do it then you are able to not be in reactivity, which is another thing that is the antithesis of agency. Agency is not reactive. So when you can get yourself emotionally regulated, when you get yourself in a safety place and you're not dependent on somebody else solely or an environment solely or yourself solely to create safety, but you have that trifecta of things, then you're able to loosen up and not feel like you're stuck you're stuck in this in this place of being alone or stuck in this relationship you have movement and when you can have safety then you get to get curious and curiosity is a key point to movement and change in your life you have to feel safe and you have to be curious you have to know you're going to be okay that way you can problem solve you can get creative you can take risk and know you're going to be okay i i love it when i'm working with somebody And we're like, let's look at it this way, or let's try it this way in this conversation, or let's look at this relationship differently. And they're like, that's a no. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: didn't work. I love saying, great. Now we know. We'll check that out. That's not bad news. Mm -hmm. A no is just as powerful as a yes. We just aren't taught that because it doesn't feel safe, it doesn't feel certain. So we work on those places. We work on safety, we work at curiosity. And my, I have two favorite sounds in the world. One is the sound of like pleasure and orgasm. And the second one is like, huh. And I love it when, first of all, I love it when my clients start saying like, huh. So I was like, well, fuck it, huh, who knows? Or whatever, whatever it is that embodies that sound. That is somebody who will be able to move out of that place of stuckness. That they will be able to move into a place that feels more aligned and they're not afraid to try different things. And those are the unexpected places of beauty.
0: Dr. Juliana Hauser, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, Just to close, uh, if people have enjoyed the conversation and they want more of you, where is the best place for them to find you and any final thoughts on uh, what we talked about today?
1: Yeah, so I am Dr. Juliana on all social media, Dr. Juliana Hauser on social media. And then my website is dr-juliana.com. And I love interacting with people. Um, And I I guess my my final thought is, agency, when you start working with the concept of agency, it's like working with a brick of clay. It is like I've just handed you this big thud of things. And so in this conversation, if some of it makes sense, but some of it doesn't, I, I want you to look at it like a brick of clay that we're tear things off, mold it, move it, work with it. Don't expect it to be something that resonates or lands right away. It sometimes can take weeks and months and years that you live it don't give up on the concept um we're counting on you we need you to be an agency the world needs more people that support the concept and the skill of agency
0: amazing yeah I just I hear you speaking about agency being the shift from being the clay being like the material of your life and being the one that that works the clay being the one that that is the potter the the artist um that shift which can feel like almost nothing at all is actually everything. Thank you. I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, My partner my son and I will be on tour in the next coming months. And and I hope that I get a chance to come by your your neck of the woods and talk again. Uh, In the meantime, be well. And uh, for those that tuned in, thank you for being here. We hope you got some value and we look forward to sharing more with you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by Relation Flicks. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflicks.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well.